Hello everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and in the indie to AAA formula, we've been on this podcast leaning a little more to the AAA than usual lately, covering games like Jedi Survivor and Zelda and Final Fantasy. Um, so it's with some relief that a few indie games popped up um, recently that I've wanted to cover. I'm excited to have a, a nice little list of uh, indie games to talk about again. Um, I have one game that I'm going to focus on in this episode for the featured review. That game is Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals, uh, which came out recently via Netflix and a Night School Studio. I played the original Oxenfree back in the day and I'm looking forward to talking about the sequel. It was a good time. Um, it has a great soundtrack, really good art, lots to talk about there. So that's going to be the featured game of this episode. But I have a few other things I've been playing as well as uh, Oxenfree to talk about. I'm going to have a little chat about Final Fantasy XIII, um, a game that I went back to having finished 16 and feeling like more Final Fantasy, to my own surprise, I have to say. So I did dip into that game. I also impulse bought Dead Space, the remake, uh, which I've had my eye on since it came out. It dropped to a decent price on the Xbox sale. Um, so I picked that up as well. And I've played the first three chapters, I believe. So I'll give some first impressions of that. I've got a few new games to add to the slate. And maybe I'll start with this, actually. I've been in the market for a PC um, Windows device to run Steam on, to play demos on, to play itch games to play all those epic freebies that I think a lot of us claim every week um, and all sorts of other things, like PC Game Pass as well. Um, and I've had my eye on a Steam Deck for quite a while, but that's that's a, a Linux machine, so it doesn't run uh, PC Game Pass. And the screen looks a little dim to my eyes, and I haven't been able to order one anyway for some reason. It's not available to order in Iceland. I even switched my Steam account to the UK. I still could not order one. I was geo-blocked from ordering one. So in the end, I took the plunge after researching all kinds of laptops and mini PCs and desktops. I don't want to build a PC. That seems like too much for me. It's more than I care to engage with. So I ended up ordering um, an ROG Ally. It's like the Steam Deck competitor by Asus that runs on um, Windows that has a bright screen that has 1080p resolution. That's good for my, my tired old eyes. Um, a, a good screen is important to me. Um, and when, when docked, it basically runs like a Windows machine. Um, it looks like a pretty powerful little thing. So I have ordered an ROG Ally, and I will let you know how I get on with it. I've ordered it back to my family home in the UK, so my parents have it in the house there, and I will pick it up next time I go back. So it might be a while before I actually get my hands on this thing, um, but I will let you know how it goes when I do. So that's an exciting one, but as for the games I've been playing in the last week, there have been a couple. Um, after finishing Final Fantasy 16, a couple days later, I felt like more Final Fantasy, to my own surprise, so I picked up Final Fantasy 13, which might seem like an odd choice, given that it is not exactly a critical darling. Um, but I have looked at the Final Fantasies over the years, the ones that I haven't played, and that one always spoke to me somehow. I like the art style. It has this very fresh, vivid, neon, colourful sci-fi anime 
art style um, that I just really wanted to see in motion. Um, the cutscenes looked amazing, and people say nice things about the battle system. Um, so I picked it up for £11 on the Xbox storefront. It is not available on PlayStation storefront for some reason. It's that one of the only games that is not. Um, and I have to say, it was pretty good. I spent five hours with it. It does have an interesting battle system indeed, um, where you control your party, but rather than controlling individuals, you can set their roles ahead of time, um, and then you can flip between different configurations of your party. So you can have um, a player that is a tank that um, taunts the enemy and attracts damage and does, does a lot of damage to... Um, you can have a medic who is also a saboteur. So if they flip between those two roles, um, if they are in the medic role, they will be healing your party automatically. If they are in the saboteur role, they will be casting spells to debuff the enemy. Um, there are all kinds of different roles that you can have. Um, stagger is very important. So dealing as much stagger as you can to stagger the enemy and do real damage and then flipping into a, a full damage output configuration for your party. Um, it actually turned out to be pretty strategic. Um, it automates a lot of the moment-to-moment -moment button pressing, but it accentuates the, the strategy and the planning ahead of time and fully understanding the different roles and how they play into combat. So I actually got quite into that. Um, I did really like the CG cutscenes. It's like, you know, it's like watching a CG movie. It's very well put together. Um, the pacing was good in the start, and I felt like it carried the story along quite well. Um, the, the whole thing stood up better than I was expecting for a game that launched on the Xbox 360. But I did hit a wall with it after a while. Um, I found that the, the leveling um, seemed to hit a point where I was suddenly less powerful than the enemies and started struggling more in combat. I sailed through the opening hours... Um, but I think I had maybe started to skip combat because this is one of those games where you're running through the world, you see enemies, and you can sneak around them um, and just pass them by if you want to, or you can sneak behind them to get a preemptive strike in the bout that follows, or you can just charge straight in, or sometimes they block your way and you have to fight them. Um, but I had perhaps started to avoid more enemies and in doing so, I think I had slipped off the level curve, basically, so I wasn't leveling up at the prescribed rate of the game. And I think that when you deviate from doing all the combat that you have to do um, and leveling up diligently and spending all your XP on uh, more hit points, etc., the game starts to get a little bit hard, and I found myself uh, tuning out a little bit, like losing at combat and then having to move back a few minutes of gameplay and, and schlep back through the same landscape again. Uh, from the last save point that you used to try and do that combat bout again. And um, started to bore me a little bit. So I tuned out of the game, but I think five hours for $11 is actually perfectly good. And I might welcome back to Final Fantasy XIII. I am a little curious about where the story goes. Um, it felt like it was building up to something in that first act. Um, people do say that this game really opens up after the 10-11 hour mark. So I was halfway to that, that mini... Uh, climax within the story. I might welcome back to it. That was Final Fantasy XIII. Um, I did also impulse buy the Dead Space remake. I really wanted to play it. I played a little bit of the original Dead Space last year, um, and it was so good that I thought, this this game really holds up. It really stands up. It, it plays well. It looks good. It's scary. Um, but it also has aged a little graphically. Um, and these lurching polygonal aliens 
aren't perhaps as scary as they were when this game came out. And with the remake on the way, I decided to put a pin in my playthrough of the original Dead Space until the remake was out and to have my first Dead Space experience be that polished up uh, contemporary version of the game. Um, it came on sale. I think it dropped below £45 uh, or something like that from 70 um, And I thought, okay, I'm doing it. I'm diving in. I want something to play on my, my shiny new Xbox Series X. Um, so I bought it and I started it. And I have to say, it blew me away right from the start. Um, the graphics and lighting and environmental detail in Dead Space um, were always good, but are now just at a new level. Um, you enter a space station in this game where everything has gone horribly wrong. Um, it's in a deteriorating orbit around a planet and you have to try and stop it from crashing and killing you whilst fending off hordes of um, horrific monsters. Um, and this game has such a good approach to uh, pacing for a start. Like the story seems to grab you by the scruff of the neck from the first moment and it just does not let go. It doesn't let up. You feel urgency, you feel panic, you feel um, anxiety, you feel like you have to battle your way through here and you cannot switch off. It really kind of activates that fight and flight in you, um, which is a feeling that I think some people do or don't like, you know, based on, based on their preference. I'm not a big horror game guy. I don't usually like that feeling. Um, but I think in Dead Space, the quality of the story and the quality of the game is so high that it is a rare horror game where I'm really willing to fully engage with it because I want that experience. Um, it just makes so many decisions right as well. Like famously, all of the menus are diegetic, they are in-game, so you can see your health bar on the spine of your character rather than as a UI element. Um, there is no map, but if you right-click um, the right-hand joystick, you'll get a little uh, trail that leads to your next marker in-world so you never get lost. Um, reloading, inventory, um, getting video calls from NPCs all happen in-game. So you'll get like an, a, an um, what would you call it, an augmented reality overlay that your character looks at in-game. So as you're walking around, you can see a video call on a virtual screen in front of you. So, so you're always moving, you're always in the world, and you can't get out of the world, and everything is going wrong. And that formula is just brilliant. Um, so I've been having a great time with Dead Space. I won't say any more about it now because I am going to fully review it later. Um, but I really respect that game. So many choices made right and they all add up to something really special. Um, so that's a really fun game that I've been playing as well. Um, I added two more games to the slate. The first one is Venba, which is coming to Game Pass at the end of this month. It's the uh, Indian cooking game about family and about food. Um, it has a colourful style. Apparently it's only a couple of hours long. So that's another little indie I'm very excited to play. I also got a Steam code for Dave the Diver, um, this little indie that could. It has sold over a million copies and has been lighting up gamer Twitter. Um, I can't wait to play Dave the Diver. I wish that that ROG ally was in my hands because I feel like it would be the perfect game to play on a PC handheld with it being a Steam game on the small screen with pixel art. But there is a Mac version of it now, so I can play it on my computer without having to faff around with the, uh, the Windows partition drive and all that stuff. Um, so I will get into Dave the Diver on Steam and let you know what I think about it in a coming episode. Um, so loads of interesting games there. Um, I think I'm going to pause my playthrough of Final Fantasy XIII. I'm going to keep going with Dead Space because I'm really, really into it. And I don't know, if, if I have enough games to talk about, maybe Dead Space can be saved uh, for the Halloween season in a couple of months. 
Um, otherwise, I will plug it into the show if it's if it becomes my main game and it's all I have to talk about. I'll be reviewing that one sooner rather than later. And then Venba and Dave the Diver. I also have Viewfinder on the go, um, the photography game with a portal-like mechanic to it all. Um, I also have Fall of Porcupine, which I've been planning to start. I'm almost finished on A Space for the Unbound. Um, and there's a whole other bunch of games around as well. I do have a bit of a backlog uh, piling up here. Um, so you'll be hearing about all of those games from me in the future. Um, and just before we get into the main review, let me say a big thank you to the show's newest patron, Artie. Um, Artie joined up at the $3 tier. Thank you very much, Artie, for joining up. Um, also, thanks to Justin for upping their subscription. Justin has been a long-time supporter of the podcast and upped their subscription from $1 up to 5 I really appreciate that. Love to see it. And you can become a supporter of the podcast if you would like to at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. Uh, you get 10 bonus episodes. You get video game music specials. You get episodes about travel, uh, literature, film, off-topic episodes, a couple of deep dives and spoiler casts there as well. Um, so if you would like to access all that stuff, join our friendly Discord server for patrons only. Uh, get the bonus episodes. You can do so at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. And I will put a link to that in the description. Thanks very much to all my existing patrons. We're now at 47, heading for 50. When we get to 50, we'll do something special. Um, and thanks to you, if that's something that you would consider doing. And with all of that said, let's move on to the featured game of this episode, Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals. So Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals was developed by Night School. It's a studio that made the original Oxenfree and was acquired by Netflix as their first studio that Netflix owns. Um, it's out on PlayStation, Switch, Mac and PC, and iOS and Android, uh, both of which, the mobile formats, you can play for free if you have a Netflix subscription. You just download it from the App Store um, and it will work on your mobile device. I played it on iOS, it ran okay. I have an iPhone XS Max, so it's an iPhone 10. it's a few generations old. Um, the game ran well, but the phone was struggling a little, um, it, did, it did have frame drops, it did have a couple of crashes, but I found that the touchscreen actually made it into a point-and-click game rather than a direct control game where you're tapping where you want to go on the screen, and it worked really well. I did also try it with my Backbone controller, but I preferred the immediacy of the touch controls. Um, the devs do describe this game as a graphic adventure, um, so it felt intended to be played this way. It worked really well, um, rather than touch controls being an afterthought. Uh, the music is by a scientific who did the first game soundtrack, um, and I normally pick through a game soundtrack looking for a couple of the more mellow or ambient tracks that I think will suit the mood of this show. And honestly, this soundtrack is so good and so vibey um, that I could have used any of the tracks. It's a glorious, uh, smudgy, electronic, Boards of Canada-esque soundtrack. Uh, it's just gorgeous, and I'll be using a lot of that music. So um, the soundtrack is great. I would listen to it outside of the game. It's just wonderful. Uh, Metacritic has this one at 78. It's gotten up to a 9 out of 10. Um, it's gone as low as a 6. And I think that's a fair score, all told, for reasons that I will get into. How Long To Beat has the game at 6.5 hours. Um, I clocked in at about 7. So it's quite a breezy game that you can get through in a weekend or in a few days. Um, it has a chapters format, so there are natural breakpoints as well. 
And the developers describe this one by saying, five years after the events of Oxenfree, Riley returns to her hometown of Camino to investigate mysterious radio signals. What she finds is more than she bargained for. And I have to say of this one, seven years in the making, Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals is Night School's difficult second album. It starts strong by playing the hits, but fades where it should crescendo. So you can probably tell from that it's going to be a bit of a mixed review, but I will say at the outset, I'm glad I played this game. Um, while I think it didn't quite land the plane, um, it was definitely a fun ride, and I really appreciate some of the, the moments that it gave me. It is effectively spooky. Um, it is an interesting story with interesting characters. Um, there were some uneven sections uh, with puzzles and pacing and so forth, but generally I think this is a good game. I'm glad I played it. If you do have Netflix and an iOS or Android device, that can play it. Uh, I recommend playing it on an, on an uh, iPad or a tablet or a phone if you have a decent sized screen because uh, there is a little bit of small text in here. Um, and Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals is a direct sequel to the original game which came out in 2016 and was a bit of an indie hit. It is set five years after the events of the first game on a nearby island. So you can see Edwards Island where the first game took place as a, a looming shape in the distance. This, this game takes place on Camino, a nearby island, and you play as Riley. She is a Camino native who has gone off to live her life and returned home to do some kind of summer job where she's going to be assisting in some scientific research. Um, it is a standalone story, but even having played the first game, um, it's heavily referential to Oxenfree. I would say that if you have not played Oxenfree for a while, like I haven't, um, you might benefit from a replay or at least some kind of story recap um, to get all of the little pieces of context and nuggets that add to the lore of the Oxenfree universe before you play uh, Lost Signals, because it gets quite heavy on that. Um, I think the game perhaps could have done a better job of refreshing the player, uh, but seems to assume that the events of Oxenfree are still fresh in our minds in, uh, in 2023, uh, which they were not in my case. Um, but Riley is a 30-something who has returned back to Camino for this research job. You start when she gets off the ferry at night on Camino Island, um, she doesn't seem to have much of an idea of what she's doing, um, and so you have to discover with her. She just knows there's a job for her, basically. Um, but the game begins when you get a radio call from Evelyn. She is a local ranger who is ostensibly your boss. Uh, she tells you where to find your gear in a nearby store. Um, she fills you in on the job. You're going to be going around this island, climbing up to some of the high places to set radio receivers in high places to take scientific recordings. Um, and you have to call Evelyn every time you plant one of these receivers, uh, and she will tell you that the signal is coming through uh, loud and clear. Um, and to assist you, you have a partner called Jacob, who is a local. He's a hermit-like high school acquaintance of Riley and a paranormal enthusiast. Um, he lives nearby in a cabin, and he'll be your sidekick throughout the game. He's a shy, uh, unassuming guy, but quite knowledgeable and nerdy. He's a good character with some good VO. Uh, Riley has good VO as well. But when you first meet Jacob, his car is broken down, and he's supposed to be ferry ferrying you around the island to the spots where you can climb up and plant those receivers. It's the first in a, a sequence of events that will um, unfold across the night that are uncanny, that are chilling at times, that are mysterious and intriguing. And I would say that the game does a good job right from the outset of uh, setting you on edge just by doing small weird things or stuff not working quite as it should. There is a lot of small signals that something is up. And of course, you know it is. I mean, Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals is very much a game about the supernatural. And I do think it does a great job at, at building the suspense through small 
um, things going wrong and then large things going wrong later on. And Riley and Jacob have a really fun dynamic. Jacob is shy. He is not very forward. Um, he's not a very confident hiker or climber, but he is coming along for the ride with you, especially when things start going weird. He is your support network and he is a good guy. Um, so you're kind of pushed into the role of leader as Riley. Uh, Riley has a bit more chutzpah and a bit more spark. Uh, Jacob is shy but knowledgeable and they have a really fun dynamic. I really enjoyed their conversations um, about the past, about the present and ultimately about uh, everything that's going down and their plans for the future and all of that kind of thing. It's, it's a really cool relationship and it sort of sits at the heart of this game. Um, and the gameplay unfolds that you have to go and climb these mountains, you have to go and place the transmitters, um, and getting to these spots is interesting. There is a map in the game, um, it does show your position, which is a concession that I was uh, really pleased about because it is just a paper map. It at least shows which area you're in. Um, and you have to scrutinise the map, uh, find a path to those high places, and then um, look at it now and then, just open it in the pause menu and then go back into the game and try and find your way up to the top. Um, this includes sometimes going through caves or mines or scaling um, unsteady structures. Uh, the movement is pretty slow and plodding, um, but it is broken up by the conversation which is happening constantly as you walk. Um, so there is always something going on in the game, even if it does have a very slow, down-tempo kind of pace. Uh, the conversation and just navigating around this world slowly, um, it does keep the game ticking. Um, and when you set up the first transmitter, it causes a strange event, like a scratch on the sky, very oxen-free type of stuff. Uh, nobody knows exactly what is happening, Evelyn doesn't know, Jacob doesn't know, but he's really interested. Um, and you're going to spend the game trying to figure out exactly what's happening, um, going through some of the events of the original Oxenfree um, that led to the supernatural events of that game, finding out how they are connected to the present that you are in through clues and conversations. Um, and it's a really, really strong beginning. Um, it sucked me right in from the outset. It's a very creepy drama. Um, and you quickly feel quite vulnerable in the, the long night on this strange, far-flung and deeply haunted island. This is helped by the presentation of the game. The visuals are really striking. It is watercolored, um, and so you get these beautiful deep blue, deep green midnight colors um, depicting the island. It has a very stylized look. Uh, the trees are really conical and uh, expressive. It has a really strong illustrated kind of feel to it. I really enjoyed the color palette. It has a dreamlike look to it. It's kind of smudgy and, and lovely. Uh, you get really nice cutaways of buildings when you enter and they have detail inside. Um, it's quite a far away perspective for most of the time. Your characters are going to look like little stick figures really, uh, but the camera does occasionally zoom in or zoom out to show a vista or to focus on an interior. Um, and sound was a really big part of this game too. It's a huge deal in this game. You're, you're tuning through a radio and so you're getting lots of static, lots of um, odd snatches of distant music with hissing static over it. You're getting beeping ship signals or some kind of strange signals. You're getting strange monologues from late night talk shows. And so as you're tuning through the radio, which is a function of gameplay, um, you are getting this ghost signal kind of feel um, that really does add to the atmosphere. There's something analog and creepy about it. Um, and I really liked it. You can just stop and listen for a while to some very strange monologues um, that are going out on, uh, on the radio. Um, you also have a walkie-talkie and that crackles um, and hisses and you get 
strange calls on that too. Um, so all of the sound is hyper atmospheric and it really, really draws you in. It's a big part of the, the presentation of this game, a big part of its mood. There is also some really nice natural sound, like you'll pass some big waterfalls on Camino Island and they have a big, big sound. It's really nice and uh, reminded me of waterfalls in real life. You'll hear wind when you're on high cliff tops and so forth. You'll hear running water, um, all very atmospheric. There were some glitches with the ambient sound streaming on iOS. Sometimes it would cut in and out as if the streaming had a problem. Um, but overall, I think the sound presentation is very strong in this game. The music is excellent and it really does add to the package. Um, as for the gameplay, it's not the strongest suit of the game, but there is enough there to keep you going. Um, the movement is pretty slow and stodgy. Um, I spent a lot of time, obviously, uh, playing on a touchscreen by pointing and clicking or touching where I wanted to go. Um, and then you just sit and watch the character get there. Um, but there is conversation along the way that opens it up a little bit. Um, I like the map. I like that it's a paper map. Again, it's a, a lovely analog touch. Um, this game feels like it was set in the 90s or something like that. Like mobile phones aren't really a thing yet. Uh, people are using walkie-talkies. It's got a bit of a retro Stranger Things kind of vibe to the whole thing. Um, I like that as you move through the game, um, Riley will scribble on the map. So you don't really have a quest log or anything, but she does make notes that you can zoom in on and uh, remind yourself about what's gone down and what's happening next. I liked planning my route um, and it did feel like orienteering across a strange island. Um, I never got too lost. Um, it kind of just occurred naturally that you'd be heading in the right direction, which I think is a uh, points to some good design there. Um, and I really do like that compromise of having the player position on the map. Uh, it was very helpful. Um, there are objects that you'll find along the way. You, they are well marked um, to avoid that common point and click floor. Um, there'll be a little circle when you can interact with something. If you go over to it, then Riley might examine it, tell you what it is. If it's a notice board, she might read a couple of the notices. If it's a closed shop, she might read the sign or peer in through the window and tell you what's inside. Um, there are collectibles. These are diary entries uh, that give you a little bit of extra backstory. Um, these are diaries written by Maggie Adler, um, a, a character from the first game, who I felt like I was supposed to remember pretty clearly, but honestly don't. But she is an old lady who is no longer around, who um, had some connection to these paranormal events. And so you get a little bit more backstory on Maggie by finding the, uh, the diary entries. They gleam when you see them. They are sometimes in positions that you wouldn't walk through naturally if you're on the, the golden path through the game. So it's just a little extra motivation to just meander a little and see if there are any diary entries that you can find. Um, there are missions in the game. It, it, it's pretty linear. So you progress the story by carrying out objectives, um, usually low-key fetch and delivery quests, uh, basically scribbled onto the map, like finding a climbing rope from the general store before you set out, um, going to a scientific installation to upgrade your radio for bigger bandwidth, um, going to a building to collect something or destroy something or find someone. Um, so you are led around the map basically from place to place. But um, something about the way that the story is written didn't make the fetch quests feel bad. It felt like you were involved in big events, like the writing was good enough that they didn't feel samey or repetitive. They all tied into the story very well. And um, if you're going to find someone and there is a big event taking place and you have to get there quick, it gave a sense of unease and urgency and mounting tension. Um, so they are basic in nature, but they just work here. Um, and the audiovisual presentation is strong enough that it's fun to just move through the game, look at these environments, listen to the music, um, have the conversation. Um, you set up the transmitters and there is some extra gameplay there. A little um, audio visualizer will appear on the screen like a grid. 
you can drag your finger across it and find where the beeping is the strongest and that will activate the transmitter. So it's like a little audio mini game. Very, very simple, uh, but it does break up the gameplay. Um, there's a couple more of those as well. You have your walkie-talkie. Uh, sometimes that will come to life and you'll have someone saying, come in, come in, over. Uh, you can choose to answer or not. Um, it has nine channels. They all have question marks on them. Um, but as people talk to you, you can find out who they are. You can establish their identity um, and then their name will appear on that channel. Um, you can go back to it if you wish. Sometimes there will be a random dialogue option there. So if you're just walking across a giant mountain, you can call in with Evelyn, check that she's okay. You can call in with Nick. He's a fisherman who's out on the water and just seems to want someone to talk to. Um, so you can call people as well, which felt quite nice. It, it felt like there were people out there on the island. Um, there were local kids scheming and getting up to no good. And you can listen in on their calls if you find the right channel. Um, and you can report back to people. I really like that little function. Um, the conversation system is good generally. It is a repeat of the oxen-free dynamic conversation system. So when people speak to you in VO, um, you'll see three speech bubbles appear above Riley. Each one has the beginning of a response. You have to kind of ascertain the tone of them. Um, you tap on one um, in real time. So it's not, you know, a conversation in video games is often like table tennis. You speak, they speak, you speak, they speak. It's not very dynamic. It's very fixed. Um, in this game, it is not. It is dynamic. So if they are halfway through a sentence or they've uh, petered out a little bit, you can interject if you tap the thing you want to say and Riley will shoot back. And so it feels like the conversations are a little more lively. I think that's maybe the best thing about Oxenfree in a way is that you can interject, you can interrupt, or you can not say anything and just let them continue talking. Sometimes they will say quite interesting stuff if you just let them speak. Um, other times you can cut them off and, and direct the flow of the conversation, it feels like. Um, I will say that if you don't speak ever, then... It doesn't seem to matter that much. Um, like towards the end of the game, I stopped speaking sometimes and just let other people speak. And I actually replayed one section when I lost some progress due to a, a crash. And I did notice that if I don't speak, then events unfold in exactly the same way. Um, there is some kind of system where if you say the right thing, people will like you more. Um, and that does uh, come out in the, in the wash at the end of the game when you see like who was your friend, um, who became a friend of yours? Who did you alienate? You get that little post-game roundup. Um, but I don't think it really affected the story in any major way. It was just like a little flourish. Um, and so whilst the conversation system is really good and feels good to use and feels expressive, it is perhaps not very consequential, ultimately. Um, the other part of the gameplay is the paranormal event. So sometimes as you're walking around, weird stuff happens. And it's great when it does every time. Um, the sound goes strange and goes off the charts. Uh, you get visual distortions. You get these uh, VHS-style tape rolls on the screen, these uh, strange effects like glitching and static. Um, things start to look weird on screen. The sky can change colour. Uh, you might flash into a different version of the location that you were in. These are a real high point of the game. I like that they are used sparingly, like there aren't that many of them. So when they happen, they feel impactful. Um, and you have some gameplay stuff there, so you can use your radio, you can tune through uh, the wavelengths on your hand radio, and when you find the right frequency, the dial will glow, and you will see things start to happen on the screen, uh, loud, strange sounds and energy lines appearing and connecting, then you have to retune again to create these triangles. 
Um, this is fun. It's very much like the first Oxenfree, though. It's just the same thing, basically. Um, so even though it is just a, a rerun of Oxenfree 1 in terms of gameplay, pretty much, um, it does still send a chill down your spine when it happens. It was very cool. Um, I had a sense that big things were underfoot when that happened, and I kind of felt myself waking up and really zeroing in on the on-screen events in a really cool way. And so far, I think I've been pretty complimentary about this game. There is a lot to like about it. Um, I really enjoyed this first half of the game. Uh, setting up the transmitters was cool, and it felt like the story was spiralling towards big events in a really cool way, and I was very all-in with it, really. I think I played four hours in my first sitting, and then I paid, played uh, the last three hours in my second sitting. Um, and I've been wondering why I kind of um, cooled off on the game towards the back half. Uh, pretty much from where I picked it up, um, I wasn't liking it as much. Um, and I don't know if it was like my mood changed, but honestly, I think um, it just got less strong after that point, after that first big uh, crux of getting those transmitters set up and getting neck deep into the mystery. Um, it's that first act where you're, and I guess the second act as well, where you're you're really powering through this um, strange scenario and you're learning a lot and things are unfolding in a really cool way. Uh, but I am going to talk about the, the last section of the game now. I'm going to make it spoiler-free, of course. Um, but I felt like after you've got the first three transmitters up, there's one more to go. Um, you get a little power-up, which is like um, an extension of the bandwidths that your radio can uh, scan through. Um, that allows you to open a gate and access the last area of the game, which is an abandoned town called Garland. Um, and I feel like the standard dropped off here pretty hard. Um, the puzzles got a little rough. Um, there's one where you have to input numbers on these dials and um, you're supposed to use years and so forth that you find on posters dotted around. I felt like the puzzle was really unclear. I ended up just looking it up. It's very simple, but just not very intuitive. It didn't scan well to me. Um, there is also a puzzle where you have to light four candles in the right order. If you don't, it glitches you back to the start. And how tedious is that? Just trial and error, lighting four candles. Um, I think that shouldn't have been in the game. It was just very rudimentary and a little dull. Um, so I felt like the puzzles, um, I, I say puzzles, but they are not really. They are so simple. They're like puzzle adjacent gameplay tasks, they did intensify towards the back part of the game, um, and they're not good really. So I think whilst there were some in the first half, they felt um, so easy that they didn't gate you at all, and you just got through them. Um, and it looked cool because you're getting these cool visual distortions on screen, um, but towards the back it felt like basic video game stuff. Rather than feeling swept up in the story, I felt like I was just executing these gameplay, insert gameplay here, kind of moments, um, and it annoyed me a little. I just wanted to get on with it. Um, and I started to feel a little bit like the game had been edited heavily somehow, like the pace of it, what you were doing in the different areas. It's just an instinct, and I can't really know, um, but the pacing started to feel off. I felt like maybe there'd been sections that were perhaps shortened or lengthened or cut, um, and that maybe something that was originally planned had been changed or something like that. It's hard to put my finger on why, uh, but it seemed a little more compressed, a little more chaotic, and the momentum that had been so strong and felt very natural as you move around the island um, kind of faded in, in the rush towards the finale. Um, towards the very end of the game, there was a puzzle that incredibly annoyed me, where there are four TVs, um, three of them have a red screen, one of them is black, so I went over to the black one to try and turn it on uh, using the radio. Nothing happened for ages, and I was just running around using my radio it turns, on, turns out you're supposed to turn off the three reds to get the black one to go on and then turn that off too or something. Very unintuitive. 
Um, and because the, the bandwidth of the radio had increased, you spend a lot more time just scrubbing through it, looking for that special frequency that's going to make something happen. Um, so it's supposed to be a power up when you increase the bandwidth of your radio, but it actually just made everything longer because you have more, more frequencies to scrub through until something happens. Um, so in a game that did very well at keeping the story moving and not slowing you down, I feel like it tripped at the last hurdle. It should have just kept it all very simple. You know, if you tune the radio and a big triangle appears on the screen with a vast synth swell, that's fine. You don't have to be tinkering around with different TVs to try and open a door or whatever. Um, so at the story's climax, I think jamming on the brakes with this um, puzzle-adjacent gameplay um, slowed down the momentum of the story, made me feel like I was in a game um, and not experiencing these cool events. And I think it was absolutely not the right move. Um, there are also some plot twists towards at the end of the game, um, and it gets more and more referential to the lore of the first game as you progress. I think if you are steeped in the lore of the original Oxenfree, some of this stuff could be revelatory. There are things that relate heavily to the uh, the plot of the first game um, that, that could really blow your mind if you remember the first game. But if you played it five years ago or four years ago like me, and you have a patchy memory of Oxenfree, including the, the cast and the events and the ins and outs and the backstory of what happened on Edwards Island, um, it can fall flat. And so I sometimes felt that events that are sort of flagged as being big and noteworthy, I didn't remember who the people were really. So it just fell flat for me. I mean, it's a cool, creepy tale, the first one, with this kind of high school Stranger Things vibe, with radios and malevolent ghosts uh, beyond the veil. Um, but I didn't remember the specific character names, specific character beats, um, the significance of uh, background NPCs that you never meet or whatever, or the, the exact chronologies of events. Um, and I, I feel like this game perhaps treats the original Oxenfree as some kind of holy text that everyone's going to have fully internalised, um, and I just didn't. So a lot of the significance of these twists fell flat for me, and that left me feeling a little, a little underwhelmed towards the end. Um, I think for super fans or for people that have better memories than I have, uh, maybe it will land better. But I guess ultimately I felt that the finale was more concerned with combing through and tying up the loose ends of Oxenfree 1 than it was in telling its own story uh, to the full possible extent. And that is a bit of a shame. Um, I would al almost say that if you have not played Oxenfree for quite a while and have fond memories of it, maybe go through it again before playing Lost Signals and you'll get the full experience. Um, it's, imagine that it's like a Netflix show with a good first season and the second season comes out seven years later. You know, how many seasons have you watched in that interim? So many that you've probably forgotten most of the first season, let's be real. Um, so I'd say maybe play them back to back and Lost Signals will definitely make more sense to you. So to round out with some of the good things and bad things about the game, the high points and low points, I think this one absolutely wins on the mood, the atmosphere. It's eerie, intriguing, it's super engaging, it's hard to put down, it has a great first half that really sucks you in. Uh, the soundtrack is intense, it's great, it has this craft work, Boards of Canada, warped electronica, drowned cassette tape kind of feel to it, all very analogue synth-centric, I love it. Uh, the painted visuals are wonderful. Um, I like the analog VHS tape effects on screen uh, during supernatural events. They looked great. 
Um, the dynamic conversation system is, is still great. It's the same as before, but it's still great. Uh, the script is mostly good, although I would say that sometimes they seemed a little under-alarmed <laughs> by things that were happening on screen. Um, I think the jarring paranormal sequences and visions were so supremely creepy and um, they made the hairs of, on the back of my neck stand on end. Um, the game does a great job at grabbing your attention, weirding you out. It's very effective in that sense. It's never horror exactly, uh, but it's horror adjacent. Um, and at seven hours, I say the game is about the right length, even though I've been criticizing the too much gameplay um, vibe of it. Like, it was a decent length, it told its story. Um, it is in chapters, you can kind of choose when you want to break. You could treat it like a Netflix series and it would work. Um, this game does make sense for Netflix, that's for sure. As for the bad things, um, on iOS, it was convenient with the touch screen, but there were some drawbacks. There were a couple hard crashes. I lost um, about 20 minutes of progress in the final act because uh, there were no save points, apparently, once you um, get on a boat and go somewhere else. Um, it overheated my phone a lot, like my phone refused to charge until it had returned to its normal heat at one point, which is interesting. Um, that has never happened before on my phone. Um, detail was sometimes a little too small, even on one of the largest iPhones that has been made, leading to a bit of confusion in dark spaces specifically. Um, and there is some eye strain inducingly small text on the, the Maggie Adler collectibles. Um, I could barely read it. Um, I was surprised by the level of similarity to the first game. If you're expecting a big leap forward, um, you're not going to get that. Um, you're still using a radio to make weird triangles appear. You're still talking about ghosts from beyond the veil, the same ghosts even. Um, you're still having visions. Even some of the plot beats were the same. For example, someone becoming possessed and wandering off a high place and just falling. Um, it's in the first game, it's in this one too. And so I guess it's less shocking because you've seen it before. Uh, maybe they could have come up with some new... Um, possessed moments, you know, rather than it being just more oxen-free. Um, it is more oxen-free, as much as it is oxen-free too, um, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing might depend on you. Um, I would say as well that I hadn't been to this world for maybe four years. I felt like I was supposed to have internalised the lore of the first game to fully understand this one, but I just didn't, so a lot of the story went over my head towards the end. I felt like consequential events felt inconsequential to me, um, so the story didn't quite stand on its own two feet as a sequel, which I think is kind of important, especially for a sequel to a game that is that old. Um, and I did feel that it became a little confused towards the end. The puzzle-esque elements were more trial and error than uh, logic, which annoyed me. And there was a sense that the tightly edited, taut and well-paced um, first half of the game kind of petered out and got a little more muddy towards the end, um, which lessened the impact of those final moments. Um, I have an odd feeling that it's a game that perhaps could benefit from a, a director's cut. Um, so that's the good things and the bad things about the game. All in all, um, I think that that 78 Metacritic is fair. I think it's like a 7.5 kind of game. If you do like the original Oxenfree, then make sure that you play it again before you get into this one, or at least have some kind of refresher, like search YouTube for a story summary of the first Oxenfree, just to refresh yourself if you don't want to play it again. And I think you will get more benefit from the events of this story. Um, but all in all, I'm glad that I played it. It was creepy, it's impressive, it looks great. The soundtrack is one of the best of the year. It's a good little indie game, even if it petered out towards the end. That is Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals. <laughs>
So that was Oxen Free 2 Lost Signals. I hope you enjoyed that review. Um, slightly critical, but I don't know. I think I was fair with the game. Um, there is a lot to like about it. Um, and I'm interested in what other people think of this one too. Um, especially because I enjoyed the first section so much and I went to sleep eager to play the rest. And then the next day, I just didn't have a good time on the last two hours of the game at all. And that makes me think like, is it me? I don't know. I'd be curious to hear what you think. You can come and find me on Twitter, on social media, as Gaming in the Wild. Let me know if you've played this one. Let me know if you agree with my take or if you had a different experience. Um, I did talk about finishing this game in the Discord, and Dovetail, uh, one of the patrons of the show, made an interesting comment. They said, I have noticed that quite a few of the games you've played recently have had a great first half and then just okay or even bad in the second. Oxenfree 2, Final Fantasy 16, Jedi Survivor begs the question, what can games do better? Um, it is interesting, it is a bit of a pattern, isn't it, that I've played these games that I've loved in the first half and tailed off with my enthusiasm in the second. I think there are a few aspects to that question. I think that games often seem tighter and more polished towards the start, which might be a function of development. Like maybe you really do hone in on that first chapter, um, especially if there's gonna be a demo or something, or you, you need to make a trailer out of it. And towards the end, there is so much left to do that perhaps it's a little less tight towards the, the middle and the end of the game. There often seems to be a soft middle where more bugs um, and the, the dialogue is less focused. And sometimes the story just seems to go on a little too long, you know? It's like it's easier to start something than it is to keep the momentum up. Um, I would also say that if you have seen all of the mechanics of a game by halfway, and then the back half just asks you to keep doing them again and again and again, that is just intrinsically less interesting. Um, so introducing new elements um, is something that could be good too. I do think that in Oxenfree 2 there was an opportunity to introduce new um, audio visualizers that you use in different ways, like new gameplay play mechanics, but you really don't get that. You just get the same thing for the whole game. Uh, perhaps saving a new mechanic for the finale might have really made it pop, you know. Um, so there are a few reasons that I think that games peter out. Um, I have had a bit of a, a run of those games recently, and I am quite curious where Dead Space goes with this, because the pacing of the intro is just brilliant. I'm curious if it can keep that momentum up for the whole game. I hope it can. Um, so I'll be playing that one. I'm also looking forward to Venba, which is a two-hour game, apparently. So there's not much room to go wrong there, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, and I have a few more short games lined up to talk about in the next few weeks. So I hope that you'll come back and enjoy the ride with me. Um, if you'd like to join the Discord community, you can do so at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild to get bonus episodes, to get that Discord invite, to come and hang out with us all. Um, new people always welcome. It's a lovely community, and I'd love to see you there. Um, other than that, take care of yourselves and each other. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now.